So Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. The reading of God's word. Let me pray. Father God, uh, we want to hear from you tonight. I pray that you would, um, like Terry said, put, a, put away the week so that we can just hear from you. Uh, whether it was good week, bad week, just want to he- take this moment uh, and hear from you through your word. Um, uh, filter anything that I say that you don't want your people to hear uh, and, and just speak. Uh, speak to your people. Uh, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I thought I would uh, start this evening by telling uh, us uh, a little bit about you. Uh, telling uh, our church who we are in Christ Jesus. So we're a church, we're a congregation, we're a, a gathering of local believers. Whew. I guess the Lord does not like my intro, uh, or maybe he just wants to add to it. Uh, this is two weeks in a row that we've had a blustery moment. Um, but I want to just kind of review what we've been talking about in the book of Ephesians, uh, but speak it personally to ourselves, because Paul's writing to a church, right, a local church, a local gathering of believers, uh, but it applies to us as well. Uh, and so you can close your eyes if you want, or just, um, just listen, uh, but I wanted to tell us some of the ways that God sees us as a community of believers. See, when God sees our church, he sees holy and faithful people. When God sees our church, he sees a church full of chosen people, people that he chose before the creation of the world. When God sees us, he sees his adopted children. He sees sons and daughters. He sees children of God. When God sees our church, he sees those who are redeemed and forgiven by the blood of Christ. When God sees you, church, he sees a beautiful temple filled with his Holy Spirit. When God sees us, he sees us as his prized possession. When God sees our church, he sees the very body of Christ Jesus himself. When God sees our church, he sees something that was spiritually dead, but now is spiritually alive. When God sees our church, he sees us like we're seated right next to him in Christ Jesus When God sees our church, he sees all the good things that he has prepared for us to do as a church family. When God sees the people of our church, he sees citizens of his country, heirs of his kingdom. 
When God sees our church, he sees people who are truly loving each other and loving Christ Jesus. When God sees our church, he sees people who are perfectly united together by the power of his Holy Spirit. God sees us in some pretty amazing ways. This is what it means to be called. Starts in verse 4, he says, I urge you to live in a, a life worthy of the calling. Well, what is the calling? It's simply to be overwhelmed by God's grace. It's to be considered a holy and faithful people. It's to be adopted and forgiven and filled with the Holy Spirit and perfectly united with each other. And God can see us this way because he sees us through Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus himself embodies perfectly every single one of those traits. When God looks at us as a church He sees the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. He sees what Christ did in this world. He sees holy and faithful people. He sees his perfect son. He sees something beautiful when God looks at us. He sees perfection. And so the question is, is do we match this? So if that's how God sees us, do we see that too? As we look at ourselves and examine our church, do we see these things? How are we doing as children of God? Are we filled with the Spirit? Are we doing the things God has called us to? Are we loving each other and loving Christ Jesus? Are we experiencing unity and peace with each other and with God? I think in some ways, yes. And in other ways, no. And so then we're challenged. Okay, so here's how God sees us. Here's how we see ourselves. How can we just take one step closer to how God sees us? God doesn't demand instant perfection. Jesus did that. But we're called to walk. We're called to take a step To take one step and then another step towards the beautiful creation God has made us into and is making us into. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 really points to this. The ESV says this, it says, I therefore, our NIV took out the therefore for some reason, but a therefore is a connecting word. Paul's referring to everything he's been talking about in the first three chapters of Ephesians, which are just like heaps and heaps and heaps of grace. (laughs) Look at all these good things that you have. Look at all these good things that God counts you as. Therefore, live a life worthy of that grace. Live a life that's one step closer to the way God sees you. Live a life one step closer to how God sees you counts you. I like how the ESV also finishes that verse. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What does walking imply? It just implies steps. Just taking a step. A step to what we already are through Christ Jesus. 
I don't know, is anyone here, so I know that many of us like hiking, like, like going on trails, but has anyone here walked the Appalachian Trail? <laughs> no. Does anyone want to walk the Appalachian Trail? One, two, three, four. We got a team, five, six, seven. All right. <laughs> We're going to shut down the church next summer, and seven of us are going to walk the Appalachian Trail. Now, does anyone know where the, the, the trail begins? Georgia, That's, you had a, okay, we had an actual mountain here, I did not know that part. Uh, does anyone know where it ends? You can just, yeah, Maine, okay. Uh, anyone kind of know the mountain ranges that it goes through? So there's, there you go, Blue Ridge, this could all be right, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, Blue Ridge, Appalachian, White Mountains, I'm sure there's other mountains. Does anyone know how long it is? How many miles? Two thousand one hundred and and something and seventy-four miles. That's really good. Two thousand one hundred and seventy-four miles long. Does anyone know how many steps it takes to start the Appalachian Trail? That's right. One trail. <laughs> One step. <laughs> One step to start that journey. Now it's it's a big calling to live up to the life that God has called us to. Right? Like if we're really sons and daughters of the king, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I look like a prince. And this is a calling not just for me, this is a calling for us as a church. Say somehow we have to get from Georgia to Maine. How do we do it? We just take one step. And so today in our passage, Paul is talking about steps. Just, just lays them out. What is one way that I can look a little bit more like God already sees me? And I don't have any other slides but this one today, so you just have to kind of listen to what I'm talking about. But the first step is humility. Humility. Verse 2, he says, be completely humble. See, when we realize what God has done for us, right? when we realize God has called us, he has predestined us, he has said, I'm going to give you the gift of salvation apart from anything you have ever done or ever can do or despite everything you have done or will do, it humbles us. As we stare up at how amazing God's grace is, we realize how big God's grace is and how small we are. And it humbles us. It makes us think less of ourselves and more of our Savior, more of God. So God calls us to humility in light of all that he's given us, all of his grace. But what's the opposite of humility? Pride, arrogance, entitlement, my way or the highway. Ancient Greek thought uh, said that humility is a waste of time. <laughs> it's all about pride. But the Bible says you don't go high, you go low. You, you humble yourself. 1 Peter 5, 5 says this. It says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. 
that should both encourage us when we're feeling humbled and challenge us when we're feeling prideful. And so what does it mean for us as a church to take a step towards humility, to have a humble spirit as a church, to have a humble culture? Well, it means, first and foremost, that we're not here as a church to make our name famous. We're not here to spread the message of Cornerstone. We're, we're here to spread the name of Jesus, to make him famous instead of ourselves. It means we value the way God has gifted and called each one of us in this church. God has given us different gifts and different passions and different desires. And when we look at each other, sometimes it's easy to say, you don't look like me or you don't think how I think, therefore, dot, dot, dot. But humility says, wow, look at how God has created you. You, you look, you, you encapsulate a different little piece of God's glory than I do. You're made in the image of God. I'm made in the image of God. And look at how magnificent God's image is. It means that we as a church, that we do things in teams. It's not the pastor that says, do this, do that. It's just we have teams. We work together because we want to be humble. It means that no one is better than anyone else. I'm no better. The elders are no better. Deacons are no better. We're just together, <laughs> humbled. We can all pray for more humility, can't we? It's a dangerous prayer. So step one, the very first step you can take on this great journey of uh, becoming like how God sees us is just humility. But when you take a step, you know, you take a step with one foot, but you also need to take a step with the other foot, right? God has given us both feet to get us going. And the other step is gentleness. Be completely humble and gentle. See, if your right foot is humility, your left foot is gentleness. Be completely humble and gentle. Why are we gentle? Why are we gentle with each other? Because God is gentle with us. <laughs> because God is incredibly kind to us even though we don't deserve it. See, the Bible makes some pretty startling claims about humanity. It says that when we were born, when we walked into this world, we were actually enemies of God. It doesn't mean we're like in neutral territory. It's like we're actually in opposition to who God is. And what we deserve because of that is God's judgment, God's wrath. But instead of doing that, God gives us his grace. That's what he has done for the church. Instead of pouring out his judgment, he's poured out his gentleness, his, his compassion upon you and me. He forgives us and welcomes us into his family. I don't know about you, but I try to be gentle with members of my family, <laughs> whether that's my wife or my son. God is gentle with you and with me. We don't deserve it, but he is. So step one is just humility. Step two is gentleness. We're on the trail. We've taken two steps. There's a third step. 
Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Step three, patient. There's a Greek word for this. It's the Greek word macrothymia. Macrothymia. This is actually a compound word. That means it's two words stuck together like redhead or softball. It means its own thing. It's the, it's the word thumos, or, which means anger or rage. And it's the word macros, which means a long time. So if you take a long time and anger and you put them together, what you get is delayed anger. Delayed rage. Long suffering. Patience. That's what it means to be patient with each other. To say, wow, I can really, I can take the blows. I'm not going to get mad. I can take some punches. I still love you. (laughs) I'm not going to be offended. I'm just going to just be here (laughs) and be present. James James says this, he's so convicting. He says, everyone, it's you and me, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why are we slow to become angry? Because God is slow to become angry with us. God, I can't imagine the, the amount of things that I do every day that have the potential to tick God off. (laughs) The ways that I put myself first, my selfishness. God has been dealing with like the church, people of God for a long time. And we keep making the same mistakes and yet God just keeps pouring more and more grace upon us. In his book, uh, Every Good Endeavor, so I had to read this uh, as part of my preparation for the Akenge uh, program this coming week. Uh, The pastor who wrote it, Pastor Timothy Keller, he tells the story of a woman who came to visit his church, and she would leave, I guess, every week before he could talk to her. So she'd come, she'd sit, she'd leave, and one week he caught her and asked her, why are you here? She shared this story with him. She worked for a company in Manhattan, Not long after starting there, she made a big mistake that she thought would cost her the job, but her boss went into her superior and took complete responsibility for what she had done. As a result, he lost some of his reputation and ability to maneuver within the organization. She was amazed by what he had done and went in to thank him. She told him that she had often had supervisors take credit for what she had accomplished, but she had never had a supervisor take the blame for something she had done wrong. She wanted to know what made him different. Well, he was very modest and he deflected her questions, but she was insistent. And finally, he told her, I am a Christian. And that means, among other things, that God accepts me because Jesus Christ took the blame for the things I have done. He did that on the cross. That is why I have the desire and sometimes the ability to take the blame for others. 
So she stared at him for a long moment and asked, where do you go to church? (laughs) It's a beautiful story, and it helped lead this woman to becoming a, a believer and a follower of Jesus. That's a beautiful example of a believer expressing patience to a non-believer outside of the church. I think it's sometimes easier to express patience with those outside of the church, with those that don't claim to follow Christ, because we have lower expectations for them. I think that's just, let's just admit it. But inside the church, we expect each other to be obedient and loving and following all the commandments and, and, and living up to expectations that I don't know if anyone can meet. But Christ also calls us to express patience to each other. We're to express patience and be long-suffering even more with the body of Christ and with the church. So we're on this trail. We, we, step one was humility. Step two was gentleness. Step three was patience. Man, we are on this trail. Step four is love. Step four is, is love. Paul says to bear with one another in love. See, there's a theme here. Are, are you noticing some consistency? Humble yourself, be gentle, be patient. Bear with each other. This word for bear uh, is the word endure. Endure with each other. I think we sometimes expect hostility from those outside of our beliefs. And yet, we also experience it from those inside I don't know about you, but I don't know why this surprises us. I grew up in a family. (laughs) I had older brothers. I experienced some hostility from them on occasion. And yet it surprises us as a part of the church family. Paul, in the New Testament, he calls Christians to endure persecution and hardship. So we are to endure those things that that are coming from the outside world. We're to do so graciously. But Paul also uses that same word to talk about the local church. Endure in here as well. Endure in the church family. Stick with it. Why do we stick with it? Why do we endure? Because God endures us. Because Jesus Christ endured the cross to win us salvation, that that Jesus loves us. He gives us his love unconditionally despite our sin. That's why we love. That's why we endure. So step one is humility. Step two is gentleness. Step three is patience. Step four is love. We love each other. We love God. We love each other. And when these, when these things come together, they, they do something beautiful. See, humility and gentleness and patience and love, they maintain unity. They maintain unity. Verse 3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. They don't actually create unity. 
Notice that. They don't create unity. They just simply maintain unity. And that means that, like, together, we're actually perfectly united. As a church body, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through, through God's presence, you and I are actually perfectly in, in, in unity to each other, no matter the circumstances, no matter how we feel, no matter what things are going on, we're actually perfectly unified. We just have to maintain it. <laughs> and that's why we have humility and gentleness and patience and love. To try to capture what we already have. <laughs> so we just mess things up that, that God already does. I'm good at that. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I think it's, it's always tempting to make an effort and not make every effort. I made an effort to keep the unity. I tried this or I tried that. Paul says make every effort. Like have a brainstorming session. How are all the different ways that we can keep unity and then try every single one of them? <laughs> I think that's challenging. That requires humility to realize I might not have tried everything. That requires gentleness. It requires me to be patient, to be loving. Paul is writing this letter to a church, but he's writing it from prison. He's under house arrest in Rome. He's physically chained up to a Roman soldier. So he's writing this despite his circumstances, not great circumstances. And he uses an illustration here. He says, he says be chained in peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's the word chains. Be, be chained up in peace. Maybe you've read a book or listened to a book or, or watched a movie or a TV show where there's that, that trope, that, that story trope where two characters are tied up together or they're handcuffed together or they're chained together. And somehow, like, they get free from their, their, their prison cell, but they can't manage to get free from each other. <laughs> and, and usually they're like people that have two different personalities, right? Type A, type B, just like people that normally can't stand each other, <laughs> and yet somehow through the story, they're handcuffed together. What happens through adventure and hardship and facing, facing life together, facing challenges and obstacles together, is that they, they actually come to see the best in each other, and they, they come to value each other's differences. And sometimes they actually fall in love. And they're like, wow, we really, we thought that we butted heads, but actually we fit really well. Paul is saying that. Paul is saying, take on the bonds of peace. Be handcuffed together as a local church family. Just love and care for each other no matter what. Don't leave each other. Don't walk away. Don't separate. Just stick it out. See, when we stick in relationships with someone that has hurt us or challenged us or when we 
uh, when we come back to it, we make it right. Sometimes that hurts, but then it also creates the opportunity for a more seasoned relationship, for grace. We, dis- we discover that when we stick it out, even with sometimes people that we don't naturally get along with, over time we can actually develop a taste for each other. <laughs> oh, I, I actually like you, and you like me. We've, we've gone through this experience. We've gone through life together. I care about you. I would do things sacrificially to... to to just serve you. I hope that tonight we will all say, I'm going to try to wear these handcuffs of peace. I'm going to handcuff myself to my church family. Humility, gentleness, patience, and love, they maintain unity. They actually don't create unity. They're not the foundation of unity. See, if we're on this Appalachian Trail, if we're hiking this trail from Georgia to Maine, well, that's a good thing, right? But what if you're in Colorado? What if you're like, I am hiking the Appalachian Trail, but I am in Colorado? People would say, you're not hiking the Appalachian Trail. You're, you're hiking the, the Pacific Crest Trail. You think you're here, but you're actually over there. This doesn't make sense at all. You could be hiking the American Discovery Trail. There's a lot of trails. See, we are unified by walking the same pathway. And what is that pathway? The the scripture talks about it in verses 4 through 6. It's sharing the same beliefs. We are unified by what we believe in, by who we believe in, by, by what we believe, the the, the, the book that teaches us what to believe. See, there's only one trail, and I know this is kind of a, a, a radical comment in our culture, but there's only one trail that leads to eternal life. It's called the straight and narrow, and there's one entrance, and that entrance is through Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us a whole bunch of things about this trail all at once. He says there is one body. There's one body. That means you actually can't go on this hike alone. I know some of us maybe like to go on hikes alone. Well, you can't go on this hike alone. You have to be part of a body, part of a a church family. That that family picks you up and and carries you along when when you're tired and hurting. And when you begin to get off the trail and you begin to, to wander away, this family says, come back onto the trail because we don't want you to get lost. Paul does talk about a body as an illustration, and so that means like, I don't know what you are, maybe you're a hand or a finger or an elbow or a toe, but so often like the toe is talking to the belly button and saying like, I can't stand you, (laughs) you smell funky, Uh, you serve no discernible purpose, and the belly button's like, I'm how you got here. (laughs) And we're called to be one body, to work together. Because without each part, well, we're maimed or, or, or limping along or not even alive. We're all vital. One spirit. 
The Greek word for spirit is pneuma, which means breath. See, we have a body, and that means we as a church can make a corpse. <laughs> like if we're all together, we can make a corpse. Until the Holy Spirit fills us, until the Spirit of God fills our body and gives us life, gives us that breath. We need the Holy Spirit. He gives us unity. One hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. One Lord. As a church, we don't follow me. We don't follow any one person outside of Christ Jesus. Like like Terry said in his communion, we gather around the table. This is my body broken for you. One faith. This doesn't mean just believe. It means we have one faith, one system of faith, what we believe in together, our statement of faith, what we find in the scriptures, one baptism. This is all those who have gone through a, a rite, a religious rite of getting baptized It's not referring to anyone like mode, like sprinkling versus dunking. It's just saying those people that have been baptized as a confession of faith in Christ Jesus. We have one baptism that we go through. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This means that that we can know and relate to the God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. See, we believe in a God who is completely Powerful and completely unsafe. (laughs) And yet he makes himself safe for us. So instead of having to call God, God, we can actually call God, Father. And notice, in all these ones, Paul speaks of one spirit, one Lord, and one God and Father. I'm so happy that we said a creed tonight that talked about the Trinity. See, we believe in one God, who's also three persons. And that like blows your mind theologically, but it should encourage you relationally. Because they're in relationship. The Father is in relationship with the Son through the Holy Spirit, and they're inviting us into relationship. See, we do not walk the Appalachian Trail <laughs> alone. We walk it with each other, and we walk it with God. We walk it in relationship with God himself. So my challenge to you, my question is, what's the next step you're going to take? See, together we're walking this trail, but each of us has two legs and has to choose to walk it. So what's the next step on this trail of living worthy of the the calling that that you're going to do? You're going to take a step of humility? Maybe you're going to take a step of gentleness or patience or loving. Maybe you're going to take a step of really focusing on what you believe, God's word. Maybe you're going to trip and it's going to hurt and you're going to scrape your knee, but it's going to be okay because you're going to have a brother or a sister in Jesus who's going to pick you up and we're going to keep walking. I don't know what that means for each of us. I would just call you to search your heart and say, what's one step that I can take to be more humble, 
more gentle, more patient, or more kind. And I, don't just make it a, okay, I'll be more humble. <laughs> Actually think about someone or some situation that you can go and take a posture of humility or gentleness or patience with. And, and just be obedient to that. Take a single step. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, would each of us take that single step? Would I take that step? Would we live worthy of all the grace and abundant, abundant love that you have given us? You've given us so much. Please bless our offering and worship and the announcements and the kids downstairs. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.